0: We are in the middle of a series called Hunger Games, and uh, this particular message today is titled, The Greatest Story Ever Told. Uh, This is not just uh, my opinion, Uh, this is just the consensus of, um, of, uh, if you go home and you type in the greatest story I've ever told, this story will come up on Google. Uh, Rembrandt uh, wrote plays about it Uh, it's interesting because uh, I'm sorry Rembrandt painted about it Shakespeare wrote plays about it and Mark Twain actually said these words this is the greatest story ever told because it is a story about a father and his two sons but it is a type and shadow of a father our God how much he loves you and I And so I just want to unpack it, this entire theme, the entire message this morning is going to be wrapped around this thought, wow, I did not know that God loved me that much. So let's begin to peel it back and unpack these thoughts. Luke chapter 15, verse 11, I'm only going to read four verses and then we're just going to begin to highlight a few other verses as we go, but it reads like this. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. There was five stages to this young man's experience the first stage if you're taking notes on a piece of paper or within your app is the rebellious stage rebellion I was thinking about this story Um, rebellion is such a tough word to digest because there wasn't any point in this story where the young man looks at his father and says I don't like you he never said that He never said, Father, I hate you. He never said, I don't like living here. I I can't stand you. It wasn't hatred. It wasn't animosity. It was curiosity. It was, I wonder what else is out there. I wonder if my life would be more enjoyable if I wasn't under the supervision of my father. See, us in the that live in the Western world, we have a challenge uh, that other people in the world don't have. See, our challenge is we live in a democracy when we are able to vote on things. Yes, I like it. No, I don't like it. I express my vote. We go into a little booth. We pull the curtain, and we get to express our vote. And nobody's vote weighs any more than anyone else's, but we get to express votes. We get to, to have our input on the laws of the land. See, a kingdom is not wired up that way. Nobody gets to vote. What the king says is what happens. We are in a democracy in the United States of America, but our God does not open up things for a vote. He basically says this, this is what I like. This is the culture of heaven. I want you to be a part of it. I want to be in relationship with you. But I need you to love what I love and to hate what I hate. And oftentimes there's uh, individuals that come along and they look at the father, they look at God just the same way the youngest son looked at his father and said, I'd rather live a different way. I'd rather, you know what, this is not for me. It might be for him, it might be for my my brother, but it's just not for me. And so he begins to take all of the inheritance. He takes all of the money, and he begins to go live any way he wants to. And this is a good point to just press the pause button and say these words. A blessing before its time is a curse. You see, I have an eight-year-old son, and one of these days, I'm going to buy him a car. Uh, But if I were to give him that car, give him that blessing right now, it wouldn't be a blessing at all. It would be a curse. He would be excited about it. He would be pumped about it. But he would wrap it around a telephone pole. And so, therefore, I'm going to hold that blessing back until he's 40. (laughs) I'm just going to hold it back because a blessing before its time is actually a curse. And so often when we look at the, our future or we look at our present, we're like, God, hello. Come on. I'm waiting. Uh, we've got people uh, in the room right now with uh, Spanish translation headsets on and I'm just so curious as to wonder how they translated "heller." Hello, I'm waiting. So anyway, uh, this might be the last time that translator works for us, but uh, I hope not. But there's times where we back up and say, God, come on, do you see what's happening? But then in the hindsight of our life, uh, when we look back and we see that it was good that God delayed, are you with me? Anyway, this young man moving on, uh, he, he, there was this rebellious stage where he just pushed everything away. And then the second stage kicked in where there was ruin, and that's your second point. See, the youngest son did not anticipate that the, uh, the price tag would be so high for leaving his father's presence. He did not anticipate that he didn't realize that the loss would be so great see uh, sin is an interesting thing whenever you back up and you say I'm just gonna live any way I want to live and I don't care what God thinks it's much like a sneeze it feels good just for a second but it just makes a big mess (laughs) you can write that on your notes (laughs) there's there's this moment where he says that the the young man enjoyed wild living. He he enjoyed going to the clubs and and just, (laughs) he enjoyed it. For those of you that grew up with the Houston Oilers, not the Texans, any Oiler fans in here. Do you remember when, when Ernest Givens would score a touchdown and he'd get in the touchdown zone and he'd just, You remember that? He didn't do it real often because we didn't score a lot, but, but he used to just kind of slide it in. He just, the young man took all the money. And what was so interesting is when you got that much money, you are the man in town because drinks are on you. You know, you're the most, you come walking in and it's like cheers, Norm. It's just so exciting. He's buying everything. But it's it's like sin has this high peak and it's this, this quick incline and then the steep, the bottom is further down than you ever imagined. The Bible says that he lost everything. You know what I was thinking about was where were his friends? All these friends that he bought drinks for all these friends that he was hey where did they go have you ever met somebody that likes what you have but they don't necessarily like you but you don't know it at the time they like it when you're rocking and rolling but in the rough patch all of a sudden they're nowhere to be found this is where the young man is He hits ruin, and he begins to lose everything. And and what's interesting is what he was looking for, he was leaving. See, the father had everything that he could ever want, need, or ask for, or desire, and that's what we have in God. It's, It's what is it I have given you the desires of your heart? I took those desires, and I put them in your heart. You would not desire it if it did not exist. I have the ability to not only give you the desires, God does not take desires and put them in you and then watch you be frustrated. Hey, this is going to be fun. He's going to want something, she's going to want something, and they're never going to get it! Here, gather around, this is going to be fun. God does not do that. He puts a desire in you because he has the blessing. So he causes you to desire a blessing that he has in his hand. You cannot desire something that does not exist. Are you with me? I know that'll take a while to set in. But he just sets it in you. And so what the young man was doing is he went out looking for something that he was leaving And so he ruins everything, he gives up everything. And what's interesting is that the father had so much, he had an abundance of everything. There's another story in the Bible about a a man named David. Um, He had several wives. I don't know if that was a blessing or not, but he had he had several wives. He had the entire kingdom. He had the north side and the south side. He was the king. He had all the money he could ever want. And he looked across several houses. And I've I've been to Israel. And it's so interesting because Israel is is a city that's kind of like the Hollywood Hills. It kind of goes up. So if you're standing on your patio, you can look down and see the roofs of other houses. Well, he was standing on his patio and he looked down and he saw a woman bathing and he fell in love with her. The problem was, is that wasn't one of his wives. It was someone else's wife. And, and he lured her over, seduced her, got her pregnant. And then he freaked out and killed her husband. And a man of God showed up to David. And watch what he says here. It's so powerful. He says, I gave you your master's house. It's almost like the king before you, he lived in this palace and he gave it to you. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of both Israel and Judah, the north and the south. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. I have given you everything, David, and you went and stole another man's wife. I've given you so many blessings and if those blessings weren't enough, all you had to do was ask me and I would have given you more. But you stepped out of all this to take another man's wife. I had more to give you if you would have just asked it. And the young son was in the same exact position. He was serving his father and he left his father to go find greener grass, not realizing that the green grass is where you water it. And so he left his father's palace when the father had so much more to give and he began to ruin his life, which moves us into the third stage, which is by far the most important stage of repentance. The Bible says that that he came to his senses. He was probably in the pig slop and then all of a sudden he thought, What am I doing? Have you ever had that moment? What am I doing? That moment of what am I doing is a powerful moment and not everybody has it. If you've ever had a moment in your life where you think to yourself, I need to get back in church. If you've ever had a moment where you thought to yourself, I need to get serious about God again. If you have ever had that moment, you need to know that that is so powerful and it's so precious because not everybody has that moment. Some people leave and never have a desire for church ever, ever, ever again. In fact, the Bible says this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, it says this, that in the last days that many people will have a seared conscience A seared conscience is like when you seared a a piece of steak on a barbecue pit. It gets hard on the outside. And so then what happens is a person who used to go to church all the time when they stopped going to church, instead of saying, I need to get back, they don't even care. When they used to say some profanity, they would feel on the inside, man, I shouldn't have said that. But now... Their conscience is seared, and they just don't even feel bad about it anymore. This was a powerful moment because the son, yes, he messed up, but there was that moment where he said, I need to go back home. But you know what's interesting is that he he begins to realize, I need to go back home, and then he does, which brings us to stage number four, which is a reconciliation stage. He begins to come home. Now watch this. The Bible says that he became hungry and he had no money, so he decided to go home and ask his father for a job as a servant. Watch this. Why did he want to come home? Because he was hungry. Was it because he was sitting there saying, Oh, I miss my dad. I love my dad. No. He was starving. Do you know I ran away from home when I was 11 and I came home for lunch? (laughs) (laughs) It was a great idea. It was in the middle of the summer and I I told my mom, I'm running away from home. I'm done. I'm leaving. And I was like, I am starving. When I came back home, it wasn't like, oh man, mom, I'm so sorry, I love you. No, I was hungry, I am hungry. <laughs> you know, if, if, as your parents ever made, or maybe you, we don't need to go to McDonald's, we make our own hamburgers, and it's like a baseball wrapped up in Wonder Bread. <laughs> Have you ever had that? And it's like bleeding through, if you don't hold it right, it'll fall through the bread. Uh, it's like... It, <laughs> that that used to be gross until I ran away from home I just want one of those wonder bread hamburgers we ain't going to McDonald's we make it better at home just come on home he came home because he was hungry he came home because he ran out of money now watch this remember this is the greatest story ever told Because it is a type and shadow. The father is a type and shadow of God. How the father in this story treats the young man is how God treats you and I. The Bible says that the father saw him from afar off, which means he was waiting. He sees him. and The Bible says that he runs towards him full of love and compassion. He runs up to him and hugs him. Now remember who's telling this story? Jesus. He told every detail of the story. And so Jesus knows that the son came home not because of love. He came home because he was hungry. He understood that there would be days where people would come to church not because they missed the presence of God but because they just lost their job. And somebody could say, what kind of motivation is that? Wow, that's a that's messed up motivation. You're coming back to church just because you're going through a divorce? You're coming back to church because somebody in your family has cancer and you don't know what to do? Do you know that the father did not care what the motivation was for the son? did not care. He was so happy to have his son back home. He didn't care what the reason was. They didn't even talk about it. He was just, that's my boy. Can I just tell you, when you come walking in this place, he does not care what your motivation is. He is thrilled that you're here. He's thrilled that you're here. Now, some of you might say, Yeah, well, Frankie, you have no idea what I did last night. In fact, I'm hungover right now. If you could stop yelling. (laughs) I would really appreciate it. (laughs) I understand. You don't know what I did. Well, here's the interesting thing. When the father saw the son... Not only did he not care about the motivation, the Bible says that he ran and he hugged him and he buried his face in his neck and kissed him. Now, whenever you read the Bible at home, don't get caught up on reading a whole bunch. Just read a little bit really slow because the diamonds are hidden between the words. Watch this. If the young man had no money... And he was in the pig slop. Whenever he showed up to the house, what did he look like and what did he smell like? He looked like a pig and smelled like a pig. And the father looked at him and hugged him with all the mess. And hugged him with all the dirt. You see... God is not like you and I. You see, if I don't see my son for a long time, and then I see him, but he's been rolling around in the mud, I'm going to be like, it is so good to see you. God is not that way. The Father is not that way. There is nothing that is too gross, nothing that is too... Sick for him. He just wants you. Your actions, where you've been, where you hung out, what you did, what you smell like, the secrets. You know what's so interesting is in the church world we talk about things that God has brought us from and we call them our testimony. And it's so interesting because in the church world we will share our testimony with each other. But there are certain testimonies we will never share. God helped us and saved us and pulled us out of that season, but we're still so embarrassed about it, we will not discuss it. Even right now. You're, you're not even talking right now and you got your poker face on. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. But God knows it all. And he says, I don't know what your motivation here is. I don't even care what your motivation is. I don't know what you did last night. I don't know what you did the week. I, I, don't, I just want to hug you. And that is the reconciliation process. And then there's number five, the reward. Now this blows my mind. Because the son left... And he doesn't take his son and say, I am going to bring you back and you are going to be at the same position you were when you left, which that would be a blessing. Imagine you walked up to your boss and you said, I quit. Peace out. (laughs) Oh, but I need my check. You take your check. You go, you go act a fool. You come back at the end of the summer and you say, it was actually a mistake. My bad. Are we cool? Are we cool? (laughs) If he gives you your job back at the same position with the same benefits, the same salary, that would be generous. That would be generous. Wouldn't that be generous? But this is not what the father did. The father took the son back and he didn't keep him at the same level. He actually said, had you stayed with me, You would be at this level had you stayed with me. I'm not going to penalize you. I'm actually going to put you at that level right now. He gives him a signet ring and puts it on his finger. If you're taking notes today, write this down. First, it's the robe that he gives him, which is a divine pardon. You smell like a pig, but that's gone as of this moment forward. Number two is I'm going to give you a ring to give you delegated authority because I love you. I just want you to know, this is so important, I feel the presence of God on my heart right now. I didn't share this in the first service, but I feel like I need to share it right now. You see, when we go through tough seasons, go through a divorce, a loss of a job, a health issue, a lot of times we lose things in the middle of that rough season. My wife's parents were divorced. My parents were divorced. You lose things. I've got one of my lovely neighbors here, her house burnt down. You lose things. When you go through tough seasons like that, you look back and you lost a lot. But it's not the stuff that you lost that hurts the most. It's the time that you lost. I got a friend of mine that put in 15 years as a senior pastor at this church. And with this particular denomination that they're a part of, the board can decide when your tenor is over. And they didn't feel like he was doing a good job, and so they let him go. He told me later, he goes, those 15 years were the best 15 years of my life. I, it was between the ages of, of 55 and, and 70. Those, I was in my prime. Now I'm 73, 74, and I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. You see... He had to give up his house and he had to give up his car, but it wasn't the car and it wasn't the house. Yes, he cried about the house because he raised his kids in that house. It wasn't the car and it wasn't the house that was the most painful. It was the time. Have you ever invested four or five years, seven or eight years in a relationship, and all of a sudden it's gone and you just go, ah! If you're 31 years old and you spent 10 years in a relationship, the worst part is is that you're not... 21 anymore. That's the most painful part about it. Do you know what the Bible says about that? The Bible says that He will restore the years. That the canker worm has stolen. It doesn't say I'm gonna give you your stuff back. It says that I'm gonna give you your time back. Some way, somehow, God takes time and condenses it and puts it into your life. He looks at the prodigal son and says, Ah, I love you. You shouldn't have did that, but I love you. The Bible says that his anger is for a moment, but his love lasts a lifetime. I love you. Had you stayed with me, you would be right here. I'm not going to make you go down and work your way back up. I'm not even going to put you at the same position. I'm going to restore the years that the cankerworm storm. I am going to allow more to happen in a shorter amount of time. Absolutely. Absolutely. The love that God has for you and I cannot be measured in my feeble words. The Bible says that he uses the foolishness of preaching. My words cannot, even if I had every word in the English language at my demand, I still could not express how much he loves you and I and how deep his forgiveness and compassion is. But there's something about images that can bring a point to life. And so I want to show you an image, a, a video, of, it's about a minute and a half, that reflects the love of a father. Watch this. Yeah. loves you more than that. And when you're running the race of your life and something happens and your race gets derailed the Father looks at you and runs toward you and embraces you. You know as I was studying for this message I had this thought put the whole message together. It was done, saved, done. And I was running one morning thinking about the message and I thought to myself, the other brother, you see the father had two sons and it was the younger son that took off. I started thinking to myself, the older brother, what was he doing? What was he doing while his younger brother was out? Because The father knew, he was a wise father, he knew what his kids would do if they received the blessing too soon. There had to have been conversations around the family dinner table. What was was the older brother doing? I'm going to tell you exactly what he was doing. He was enjoying and consuming the blessings in the father's house. You see, if you're taking notes, The oldest son was a consumer, not a contributor. I read this in a business book years ago. I can't remember what book it was, but I remember it was in the business section at Barnes & Noble. Um, Or actually it was a, I can't even remember where I got this illustration actually. But at every company and in every family, there are people who are vacuums and there are people who are fans you're either a vacuum or a fan look at the person next to you and say are you a vacuum or a fan when you go to work tomorrow you can just kind of walk through and go fan vacuum fan vacuum vacuum fan (laughs) because everybody is either a vacuum or a fan because a vacuum consumes all it does. is consumes, consumes, consumes. A fan contributes, contributes, contributes. The oldest son, he was just at home consuming. Just taking it all in, taking it all in, taking it all in. And then when the youngest son came home, he actually got angry, not that he was home, but that he was experiencing blessings that he felt he should have. You're you're getting what I feel like I should get. Watch this. Um, It's it's fascinating because um, Rembrandt, whenever he painted this greatest story ever told, uh, it was interesting how he did it. Why don't you take a look at the painting? Um, Obviously, that's the father embracing the son that has come home. And if you look at it, um, I studied this painting. I almost wanted to just teach on the painting by itself because it was so fascinating, but I'm only going to bring one point out. The father's embrace to the son is both maternal and coming from the other side, the strength of a father. Because when you go through a tough season, you need the sensitivity of a mother, but you need the strength and confidence of a father. You need both. You need both the father and the mother. And in this painting, if you look at the father's right hand, it is painted and illustrated in a soft manner to reflect the mother's love. But if you look at his left hand, the left hand is painted so much more masculine, To show the strength and confidence of a father. Because that is what we experience. This is the greatest story ever told. But I want to bring our attention to the character sitting down next to the father. Because as I read it, that's the older son. And the older son has his arms crossed. He's actually disgusted about what is happening here. And if you read the scriptures, if you read the parable, he is not disgusted that his brother is home. He is disgusted that he is receiving blessings. And then my mind goes back again. Why didn't he go out and get his brother? Because he was enjoying the consumption of the Father's house. Can we have a come to Jesus meeting just for a minute? Can we never be children of God that are enjoying the consumption of a Sunday morning so much that we don't even think about going out and finding somebody that doesn't have a church home and invite them and bring them to the Father's house? Can we not be a person who is only wrapped up with consuming and we're so caught up in, man, I hope they sing songs I like and I hope the preacher is good today. He better be good, he better be funny, and he better be short. Can we not be so caught up in being a consumer that we are never a contributor? Let's spend our entire week. There's six other days of the week other than Sunday. Let's spend the entire week looking around for people that we can invite to bring to church. I've got two points in the sermon today. The first one is, Let's never forget how much the Father loves us. And number two, let's make sure that we take the honor and the privilege so personal, but yet we don't forget to be a contributor and invite that neighbor that has been on our mind for weeks and invite that work associate or that family member.